It's great that uh, Pastor is part of our Armed Forces Baptist Missions Board. And uh, we're coming up on our annual board meeting on the 26th. And I'm not sure, is this summer your summer again for camp? So he'll be back helping us at camp in Wisconsin later in the year. But it's just great that you guys are part of all that. We really appreciate that. And uh, we'll talk tonight, but just a reminder of what we do in the ministry. Uh, Number one, we plant churches outside of military bases so folks can have this experience no matter where they're stationed. And that's a pretty big deal. God has allowed us within the last 12 to 15 months, we've planted one in Washington State outside of Goodfellow Air Force Base, Spokane. We planted one at Fort Knox, Kentucky, right outside the main gate of Fort Knox, Kentucky. And then there was a third one, and I'm having a hard time remembering it now. Korea. Yeah, so there are three churches planted in the last, well, since last time I was here. So God has really blessed that particular facet of the ministry. And then the second facet is these things called Christian Servicemen Centers. And Christian Servicemen Center is a place where it belongs to a church, where a guy or a gal can go and settle in and be fed, be fed the Word of God, be brought to church. And it's really a, a very fruitful ministry because people are going to do something. They're going to go somewhere, and they, you know the, the objective is to get off base. And I remember as a young private, you just want to get off base and live a natural life and get cruising. So we have these servicemen centers. Right now we have 11 of them. Now, has anyone here ever been in a Christian servicemen center? Christian servicemen center. So there's been a few of us. Uh, They're a fruitful ministry. And one Christian servicemen center, the one that's at Fort Dix McGuire Air Force Base up in New Jersey, uh, they had in one year nine people graduate from Bible college who had been led to the Lord through the Christian Servicemen Center. So they're a very fruitful ministry. You get, a, you get a person maybe four or five times a week, and then you're in church with them a few times a week. So it's a real fruitful ministry. The third thing we do is distribute God's word. And uh, we had mentioned to you guys years ago that in 2009, when President Obama took office, he stopped distributing the word of God to our military. The government stopped paying for the word of God to be distributed. And uh, the chaplains could buy small amounts here and there, but, you know, they went from spending uh, millions and millions of dollars making sure everybody got a Bible, which Abraham Lincoln signed into the law in March of 1861, his second day after, his second day as president, the day after being inaugurated, he said that everybody who goes in the military should be given God's word for free. And he signed that. So from 1861 all the way to 2009, Uh, God's word was distributed to our military around the world. So we picked up a little bit of that slack. We prayed that God would allow us, and I don't think we brought a Bible this time, but uh, we prayed that God would allow us to distribute maybe 1,000, 2,000 copies of Scripture a year. But through God's divine providence and the way he takes things and uh, multiplies them in his hands, uh, we've seen 1.3 million Uh, since 2010 distributed to our military men and women. So that's really been a great blessing for us. Now, people always ask the question, has that changed? And it has. So uh, since January 2017, executive order was filed again to go ahead and start buying Bibles for our military again. So that's that's slowing us down a little bit, but uh, it's slowing us down in a good way because they're taking care of it. Uh, So we won't be distributing as much of the Word of God. And then the fourth thing we do, and I think Pastor mentioned it, is uh, we work with people with PTSD. So we wrote a book. I wrote a book called Wounded Spirits, A Biblical Approach to Dealing with the, uh, the Effects of PTSD, and your pastor has some of these. And we found God has blessed, and I think there's 146,000 or something like that that's been sold through an organization. Sort of the Lord came up and said, we'll distribute your word for you, your book for you. And so you can buy it on sortoflord.com electronically onto a book reader, or you could pick up a hard copy. And there, there are some uh, electronically at Amazon. 
So you can get it on Amazon, and I think you can get it on Christian Book Direct and things of that nature. So uh, that was a great blessing. So that's pretty much the update. We do, on top of that, our ministries do filter out. We work with veterans' homes. Right now we have four or five missionaries that do their entire ministries to go into veterans' homes and work with people, to love people. We have one missionary, I was telling Pastor about earlier, a missionary he knows, John Little. John Little's 94 years old, has been serving with AFBM longer than any other missionary we have. He was in the D-Day invasion, and just, just as the Battle of Bolts started, the Battle of Bolts started, he got saved. And he told God, laying in a foxhole in the Battle of Bolts, he said, I made a deal that I had no right to make. He said, God, if you get me through this, I'll serve you every day of my life. And he's proved that to be true and is one of our best missionaries. But he, going back to that last category of being in those veterans' homes, he lives in a long-term care facility with his wife. They have an apartment there. And uh, they have a study on Sundays and Wednesdays. So they have church service on Sunday and Wednesday right there in the nursing home. And uh, they see about three or four people a month get saved. Most of them are 90 years old, Korean War veterans and, and things like that. It's just unbelievable to see that type of an outreach right there at those nursing homes. So Debbie and I was with him. One of the, one of the funny things he told us, he says he was, he's discipling these two young men to take his ministry. And I was like, well, that's awesome. Uh, Brother Little, how old are they? And he said, 78 and 82, or something like that. <laughs> so I said, I said, man, you just don't hear that every day, you know? And, uh, but I'm discipling them, and they're going to be ready. So I said, okay. Oh, open your Bibles, if you would. I just wanted to give you a byway. We're going to show you our missionaries tonight. Hopefully, well, I started working on them a little bit last night. I'm going to do a quick slide of missionaries. So you'll have about 50 slides and about 20 verses that reminds me of these missionaries tonight. I want to show you what you're part of and, and what the outreach is and maybe tell you about some of the things uh, that these folks have accomplished that have been kind of cool. So we, we want to do that tonight. So if you can make it back, please come back tonight. Pastor asked me to do that. I think it's a great idea. It helps me as well because in uh, February, on February 26th, Pastor and I will be at a board meeting. I'll just be able to show these slides again to the board members and say this is what our missionaries are doing around the world. So it's really helpful. So we're in chapter 2 of the book of John. If you could stand with me if you can. If not, just stay seated. That's all right. Uh, the Word of God here in chapter 2 of the book of John, verse number 1. In the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what do I have to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet, has not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he say unto you, do it. And there set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill up the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. I love chapter 2 of the book of John. I love the marriage, uh, the marriage at Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus being there. There's so many different things going on there in chapter 2 of the book of John. There's a lot of things you can look at. So I kind of broke them into three categories or, or three groups of people. I, I broke them into the category of the married couple. I broke them into the category of the mother of Christ, and I broke them into the, care, uh, the category of the motivated servants. And so that's how I want to approach it today, like three points, so to speak, on what's going on here. Because I think as we go into this year and as we grow as Christians, it's a good thing to look at and how each of these categories looked at these things and dealt with them. Right, we'll start up front with the married couple. In the third day, 
there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And I was thinking about that. The engaged couple invited Christ to their wedding. Isn't it so important that God's part of our marriage? You know, today so many people are uninviting God from all kinds of things. It wasn't that long ago as we were having church services in Afghanistan, they would put signs on the doors that say that they're, they're preaching about Jesus in here. They're opening the Bible in here. Be sure you want to go there. Folks, I have a feeling that turns some people around. They had MPs standing out there saying, hey, they're opening the Bible in there. Are you sure you want to go in? We don't want to offend anybody. That's where our nation has come. We're uninviting Christ. Folks, it started, there was a couple years that I had, I had looked down and I had wrote down, and, and one was in the 1920s, and in the 1920s was the Scopes trial, and they decided that not only should the school learn of creationism, public school, uh, but it also should hear of, of evolution. And many of you remember that trial from studying in high school. I studied in high school. Saw a little bit of it in college, but the whole gist of it, you know, and the whole idea behind it was this. People were saying, this is no big deal. We just want to teach a couple alternatives in our schools. Nothing's really going to change. What we're going to do is we're going to come together and we're going to say, here's creationism. That's the real story. But some nations in the world and some religions believe in evolution and everything's going to be all right. It's just going to be this easy thing. There's going to be nothing to worry about. And for the next year and a half, these folks fought. It went to the Supreme Court. And from that came the decision that high schools, that public schools could teach evolution as well. And they said, but nothing else will ever happen. This is no big deal. Fast forward 40 years, four decades, the best part of four decades. And you come along and you end up at the 1960s. And this little girl went home and she told her parents, they're using the Bible to read in my classroom. And that's offending me. It was a six-year-old girl. Can you imagine a six-year-old girl saying, they're reading the Bible in my classroom and I'm offended by this. So over the next year, they fought about whether or not they could have the Bible in a classroom. But this is what they said. It's not really going to affect anything. All we're saying is we should be teaching from other books in the classroom. We're still going to recommend they can pray. We're still going to let them read the Bibles by themselves. We're not going to. And they sold the whole uh, world of America, the whole American portion of that, in North America, into, into Canada. So the Americas, they all followed suit. When we do stuff, the Americas follow suit. And so sure, at the, end of the, at the end of the year, it finally had made it all the way to the Supreme Court, and they validated, uh, validated the decision. Most of the Supreme Court at that point was still appointed by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It was a different-looking Supreme Court than even we got today. But they turned around and said, it's okay. They're still going to be letting people read the Bible in class. They're still going to be doing this. And before you know it, another little kid came along and said, I'm offended by praying in classroom. People are praying. It makes me cry that people are praying for me. Read the stories that'll mess you up. That was within a year. And they went to court and went through the court system. And I don't know if you picked this up, but this is how the world works. They venue shop courts. So if they, if they get mad at something that, uh, let's say, and, and uh, this isn't a political sermon or anything, but let's say P President Trump likes something, they don't go to a court that likes President Trump. They go to the most liberal court in America. 
and they venue shop and they immediately file a suit in the Ninth District of California or in the First District of Hawaii, the two most liberal courts in the United States of America, they immediately file something and say, this is offensive to us, this is going to treat us bad, and it works its way all the way to the Supreme Court. Well, that's what happened back then. They were even doing it back then. And it went all the way up, and this little, this little tyke said, listen, I can't, I can't take it when people pray for me. It scares me. They're praying for me to be a better person. I don't want to be a better person. That scares me. Stupid things like that were said at the trial. I'm happy with the person I am. Let's take a break and look at the person I am. So what did we get? So we ended up with evolution a few decades, a few and a half decades later. We ended up with no Bible in the classroom. Then we got to know prayer in the classroom. How many people here are old enough to remember prayer in the classroom? I still remember the quiet time. We had a teacher in Voluntown Elementary School. I had one teacher my whole life. We had a teacher in Voluntown Elementary School who still prayed. Mrs. Manko. Mrs. Manko, I, she's in a nurse home. I think she's 100 years old. And she said, they're going to have to come get me with a state police car. I'm still going to pray for my class. So she'd say, pray in silent and hold your ears. If you don't want to hear me pray, and she'd pray. I was like, wow, they couldn't do that where I went to school last time. But that all ended. It all went away with the 100-year-olds who said, let them come take me away. So now we've taken away prayer, we've taken away that. You say, well, Brother Doug, what does that have to do with chapter 2? We're not inviting Christ anymore. Christ is no longer invited into our schools. Christ is no longer invited into many weddings that are happening in America today. You see, with Christ comes standards. We don't want to invite Christ into this area because somebody may be offended that, that God wants us to do the right thing. Uh, that God wants us to uh, stand by the sanctity of marriage, that, that God wants us to, to understand that marriage is between a man and a woman. That, that You know, some of that, people are getting offended by that. I am so thankful that God offended me of some things in my life. And, and, and by offending me, I, I got saved. And, and by realizing what God's word is. And so here we are at this wedding. They invited Christ to be part of that marriage. They, they wanted Christ right there in the beginning. And they brought his disciples. They didn't only, only want Christ. They brought his preachers with them. You know, bring the evangelists. Bring the preachers, man. We're getting married. We need God's help. And, and, and brethren, let me tell you something. If we're married, we need God's help. Marriage is tough, man. I, I remember somebody used to tell me marriage is 50-50. It is not. Marriage is 100-100. And uh, we've been married 35. I don't know a lot about marriage. You guys, many, most of you beat me in here. We've been married 35. It'll be 36 in October. And I found out it's 100%, 100%. And uh, that's just how it goes. I just read last night. I was reading there. Um, uh, I was looking at the Twitter feed or, or the news feed on Fox. And Pat Boone's wife at 64 years died yesterday. See that? They've been married. They both got married at 19 years old. Yeah, and I was, I was reading that. Or she was 19, he was 20 or something like that. But they invited Christ into their marriage. They invited Christ to the ceremony there. They invited Christ into the marriage. That's so important. You know, folks, whatever we do in life, invite Christ. And I know you're inviting Christ in your life because here you are on Sunday morning at a great church preaching God's word. And, and I know that and I'm encouraged by that. But we've got to remember we've got to invite Christ into everything. Invite Christ in the meals you're going to eat. Invite Christ in the, uh, uh, the way you're going to deal with problems. Invite Christ in be, uh, before you call the knuckleheads at the power company who are overcharging you. Or, and invite Christ. To, you know the deal. It's hard today. Boy, everybody wants a piece of taxes and stuff too, don't they? Everybody, everybody wants something. But invite Christ in. So point number one in the married couple and that life right there, they invited Christ. Folks, invite Christ into your life. Make 2019 the year that Christ is invited everywhere. 
in everything you do. Pray about it. Invite Christ. It's important. It's significant. And the second portion I wanted to talk about was Mary, the mother of the baby Christ, the fleshly Christ. But she's not the mother of God. We know that, don't we? And, and we can pick that up in the verse. In the third day, starting the beginning again, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage, Jesus and the preachers. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus say unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, a woman, what do I have to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. It's mentioned like 27 times in the New Testament. And basically, distinctly like that, over 100 times throughout the Bible, hour not come. It's talking about when he was, when he was going to get crucified and the ministry of that was going to begin. And, and his mother saith unto the servants, now I'm amazed by this statement. I'm amazed by this statement. This statement has a great value here for any of us. Has great statement here. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, just do it. Do it. Nike stole that from us. We should sue them. The first recorder, now just do it, is right here in John chapter 2. Says, just do it. Whatever they say. You know, that's how our lives need to be. If God says it, just do it in your life. It makes things that much easier. It'll make 2019 easier. It'll make 2020 easier. It'll make all those things in your life easier. If we just do it, if we just listen. Someone needs to send that verse from the Bible to the Pope. Mary says, whatever Jesus says, just do it. He's got this. He knows this. Whatever's said, just go ahead and do it. He's got this. And, uh, you know, that needs to be said to the Pope. I was raised in Catholicism, and I'm not picking on Catholics. I love Catholics, and my mother was a nun. And uh, I, I told you guys the mother-nun story, but just because there's a few new folks here. My mother had went to Putnam Catholic Academy and moved on to Yale University and was in the convent across the street studying to be an English teacher nun. And uh, a priest tried to rape her, had a little bit too much to drink one night, and came up to her room, and there's nobody small in our family. Uh, my sisters are all Amazon women. You remember that? Old? I mean, they're all, they're all like six feet tall, can bench press a couple hundred pounds. They run. Well, back when they were younger, they don't do that anymore. They could, uh, they could beat up a telephone pole and win. You know, I always felt bad. And they married the, the biggest jerks you ever met in your life. And, uh, but it's probably all you can get when you look like an Amazon woman that can beat people up. I don't know. But uh, I do know this. Mom beat that priest up. Mercilessly. I mean, she just, she just beat him up, threw him down the stairs, and there were rumors of cracked, broken ribs. They threw her out. Uh, they said, you don't have what it takes to be a nun. I thought she would have made a good female wrestling coach or something myself, but uh, she could hit. We used to, remember those three-seat station wagons we used to have? And the seat used to face the back window. You guys remember that? I was, you know, when my father first divorced my mother, we had one car, and as a kid, I had to lay in the back windshield because it wasn't a wagon. Oh, yeah, years would go by, and people would say, aren't you the one who used to lay in the back window of that Rambler? Yeah, that was me. But, uh, but I remember we got a three-seat car, and it was a Plymouth Fury uh, three-seat car, three-speed on the column, and uh, my mother could reach all the way around to us, and, and she had long arms, she probably had 36 arms, could reach around and belt us all the way in the third seat, while driving and smoking a cigarette at the same time, praise God. And, uh, but I'll tell you, yeah, my mom used to do some smoking, and when she quit, she got saved and she quit. She carried a fake cigarette around with her, and that used to freak people out, you know, she'd be at the gas station. <laughs> and I'd say, Ma, 
These people think it's real. It's real to me. So, but number two, we can learn some things from the mother of Christ, right? The mother of Christ at this wedding. First thing we learned is she was obedient to Christ. Next thing we learned is she was concerned. She had a concern for the people at the wedding. They were out of something to drink. Uh, and the most important thing is she was obedient. She was obedient. We can go back to that a hundred times. She was obedient to Christ. She said, Servants, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Just do it. Life will be so much better. Just go ahead and do it. Step out and do those things. I was raised in Catholicism, and I was telling you my mother was even a nun. And, and we used to pray and worship the Mother Mary. And folks, can I tell you something? Mary has no deity in the Bible. She's not, we're saints because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But that's, we get so wrong with that. Mary's a great woman in, in history and even today. She was chosen uh, to carry the baby of Christ, but she's not God. She submitted to Christ, her son. She knew. And, and let me tell you, if your mom says you're God, you're God. Moms know that kind of stuff, man. Moms are with those kids. Moms know what's going on with kids. You know, they know what's going on with kids. Debbie always knows what's going on with kids more than I know what's going on with the kids. I don't even have to exist sometimes, you know. As a, uh, and we know how much kids love their moms. And, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you that in this particular scripture, in this place, the lesson we get for 2019, 2020, the rest of our lives is if Christ says to do it, just do it in your lives. No matter what it is, just do it in your life. We're not going to beat that up anymore, but I, just do that in your life. If Christ says it, believe it and do it. Whatever that may be, just do it in your life. And, and folks, let me, let me add to that. Study the Word of God this year. Uh, there was a little thing. I grabbed it. I always love grabbing. I grabbed you last year one. I think it's chronological. I like that. It's chronological here, so you're reading the book from the beginning to the end. You know, some people try to throw in this and that. This is a chronological. It's right in the back, your Bible study list. Do that. Find out what Christ's word has to say to you this year. So point number one, we looked at the married couple and how they invited Christ into their lives and how they invited Christ into all that they do. We need to do that. And then we looked at the mother of Jesus who was obedient to Christ. We need to be obedient to Christ. Not only do we need to invite him into our lives, not only does it need to be part of our entire lives, but we need to be obedient to Christ. And point number three, I think it's an important one, is these motivated servants. And I, I, I've, been, uh, I've been amazed as I've studied on these motivated servants. I wrote this just a, just a little while back, and I've been looking at this. And uh, so we're starting to begin it again. The third day, there was a marriage at Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples. And we're talking about his disciples here, the motivated servants to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Now, uh, we know that there was 162 gallons of water that they had to retrieve that day. Now, what came to my mind automatically as I looked at this first, and, I, and I, I think about this first, and I talk about this first, the first thing that comes to my mind here is there was no hose to fill those puppies up with. We couldn't drive the golf cart, the flatbed golf cart out here with some water buckets on it and fill it up with water and bring it back to Christ. They had to go to the well to get the water. Now, what they did a lot of the time is in history, if you look up the history of this time, they never heard a party right next to the well. They didn't want the well contaminated. 
Uh, they didn't want people uh, contaminated in any way. So they were at least 50, 60, maybe 100 yards away. Some historians believe uh, as much as an eighth mile away was the well from where these folks were getting together and having this wedding. That was their custom. They would bring the water to the area, wash everything, bring the water there to drink, and things of that nature would be all brought in. And that the, and in the other direction, because remember, Jewish law is your sewage and your water uh, have to be about 500 yards apart. So they believe somewhere in the midst of that or in the middle of that, this party took place uh, so that you don't mess the sewage with the water and those types of things. So he tells the servants, fill these water pots. Now, a few things happen that blow my mind. First of all, God has called me to do some things. And I haven't filled them all the way to the brim. I've been that guy. Well, this is enough. You know, where you go to the, go to the well. And, and what they would do is they would carry their, their little jugs. Certainly they're not carrying these ceramic water parts around. You know, each one of them uh, held 27 gallons of water times 8 pounds. There's nothing good about that. You know, they would, they would be carrying their little buckets, their little saucers. I looked it up. Debbie said they did have buckets, and they do. They held about a quart and a half, almost two liters uh, of water. So they would go fill that bucket. They would walk all the way back and fill a water jug. Fill one of those firkin things. They'd walk all the way back. They'd fill that thing up and try not to spill any of that water. And they'd bring it all the way back. Now, I'm amazed a little bit by that. Because I probably would have found two or three strong people to carry it. But that's not how they did things back then. There was, uh, these, these pots were blessed. They were in a certain area. And uh, they didn't move them to another area. They'd already been blessed. They were kosher in their mind. A rabbi had already blessed all the pots. And uh, so they wouldn't bring them back into the area. So they would fill their little jug. They'd come all the way down and fill the bucket. Now, in my case, right here, you know what I would do? I'd probably fill it about three quarters full. But motivated servants don't do that. The Lord said, fill them to the brim. The Lord said, fill the pots. And the Bible says they filled them to the brim. So here goes these disciples. They keep on going, getting more water. We got one full over here, Jesus, our Lord. We got one. Go down, fill another one. We got two filled. Well, I think the application here for us today, as we go into 2019, as we go further with our lives, is we should be the type of people when we do something for God, we fill it to the brim. We should be the kind of people that our ministry, no matter what it is, whether if we're making something, if we're doing something, we should fill it to the brim in our lives. Our life should be filled to the brim. When God gives us directions to do something, we should want to do it. We should want to do our best job. Now, when I was in the Army, there were two or three kinds of workers in the Army. Some people, man, they just did the job. You know, we used to tell people there were two or three kinds of soldiers. We, we told people there were two distinct kinds of soldiers. There were disposable soldiers. Now, a disposable soldier came in the Army, did exactly what they were told, and left the Army, and nobody ever knew they were there. They barely got by. An exceptional soldier did more than what the regulation said, did more than what his leaders told him to do. They were the ones that looked for their buddy down the hall. They were the ones that made sure he was all right. They were the ones that made sure everybody was up in time. They were the ones who made sure the shower was clean. They were the ones that made sure they had the most shined shoes. They were, they were the ones who made sure they did everything to get promoted. Those were the guys who made a complete difference. And, and uh, uh, those exceptional soldiers, they changed the army. Well, God's army is no different than that. God's army needs motivated servants. It needs exceptional soldiers. Those people who go and fill those water pots. Well, I looked at a, I wrote down a few lessons that I learned from the filling of these water pots. Uh, number one, uh, something the servants did that I liked a lot and I think will help us is they obeyed, obeyed Christ immediately. They didn't stop and say, why? You know, why do we got to fill these water pots? They just moved out smartly. 
Folks, can I tell you something? As we serve God, move out smartly. Just go do it. Just get it out of the way. And uh, knock that out. It's going to be all right. Just, just obey him and do it immediately. When I was in the Army, one of the things they teach you in the military, I know we have a lot of veterans in here. Uh, I've met some of you, Marines and Air Force folks and Army folks, but, but I, I rem- Navy folk. I, I remember, we don't have any Coast Guard yet, do we? I knew the other branches. Still no Coast Guard. Brother, we've got to find a Coast Guard person. Yeah. But uh, I remember in the Army, they train you constantly to obey the order and do your job, to trust the leader above you. And, and know that your job's going to be done. So in other words, you don't get a call. They don't say, we want you folks to take this hill. And then you say, well, wouldn't it be better if I went down the road and took another hill? Well, let's talk about that hill. It doesn't look like there's a lot of good position. No, the Army doesn't accept that. It's like, take the hill. Yes, sir. See you up there. But when we serve God, so many people want to talk about it. Have you ever noticed that? And folks, I'm not picking on anybody. You guys are an awesome church here. Pastor always talks about how great you are. But I know as a Christian myself, sometimes I say, why, God? Why do I got to fill that thing up right now? I can do that. Next week would be a better week for me. My arm will feel better. You know, next week will fit a better time. We've all used that, haven't we? But these guys obeyed immediately. They didn't say, you know, when I was in the Army, the general never called and said, Carragher, I decided to bring this division up or to move these people. What do you think about that? That call never came to me. You know, I ran the administration side. I was always pulling people up and, and on the computer and sending them places. No one ever asked me, hey, should we send these people? No. Called up and said, Carragher, move these people. Roger that, sir. Thank you. We didn't even talk. Because when it comes to that point with it moving people around, there's no sense saying, did you hear how the Redskins did last week? Or whatever the case may be. You didn't do that. Number two that I see here is uh, uh, that they filled it. They filled it to the brim. I was blown away by that. They filled it full. They did beyond their job. They wanted to do well for God. I don't know about you, but I've done work in churches where I haven't done really well for God. Now, we were bathroom cleaners. I, one of the duties, Pastor and I both took a bathroom in Germany, Pastor Moroz and I. And uh, we had a church. We had a revival meeting going on one week. And, I mean, I did a really good job cleaning the bathrooms. I'd take my boys over there. They'd play, and I'd clean the bathroom. We did it for six or eight months before someone took over. And I remember we flipped a coin, and I got the ladies' room. I got the pick. I picked the ladies' room because, well, ladies don't miss the toilet sometimes. So, anyway, I'd go in there, and I, I'm scrubbing the place up, and, and uh, I'd make that place shine, and I'd make everything good to look out of, and everything emptied, and new plastic bags and covers on stuff. And I mean, I took great pride in the ladies' room. I wanted it to look real good. I didn't want somebody to not come to church because we had a dirty ladies' room. I know that sounds like a silly thing, but it, it affects me when I'm driving on the road. I like to, I like to drive when, you know, in, into rest areas and stuff that uh, I have a memory of them being spotless. And, uh, but I'll never forget one night just going beyond the call of duty on that restroom. One night we're having a revival. We're sitting in the kitchen getting coffee, some German coffee. And I heard a lady walk out of the restroom, a visitor, and this is what she said to her husband. She said, that's the cleanest ladies' room I've ever been in. Fill it to the brim, brethren. Fill it to the brim. And uh, boy, God will use it when you fill it to the brim. And, and I got a couple other verses. We don't have to beat on them. But, you know, the important lesson I think we get out of today is invite Christ into your lives. And let him be in everything you do. Don't just invite him to Sundays. Don't just invite him to Sunday dinner. Invite him to every meal. 
Invite them in every facet of your life. Invite them in the good times as well as the bad times. And, and invite them to handle the problems you have in your life. Just give it all to Christ. It makes a difference. And, and number two, be like Mary. Whatever Christ says, just do it. Just go ahead and just do it. Just do whatever Christ says, just do it. Just do it. It's going to be all right. And, and then finally, whatever you do, be like the motivated servants. Fill those 162 gallons to the brim. Fill them to the brim.